all the feels on this one. Because that's what the science says. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out. Let's talk about what this looks like in real life. Facts do not have opinions. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Science is true whether or not you believe in it. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View, episode 488. And for those listeners who celebrate and are listening today, happy Christmas Eve. We decided that we were going to revisit a question that we get so frequently uh, because we remembered that we did an eczema show, but when we looked back, it was pretty old. Episode <laughs> two forty eight. <laughs> so long ago. I it's was it I the nineteen hundreds even? <laughs> I mean, probably, probably. I think officially ye olden days. Yes, yes. Um, so what I do want to say about the show, um, is that there's going to be things that you hear from us that we don't necessarily do or support anymore. And one of the things that I love about these update shows is that it shows how we genuinely listen and follow the science and update our lives accordingly. And that this is not, you know, a set of rules or dogma. That's a prescription for anybody. It's a lot about what works for you. And so we are super excited to answer a listener question and get into that. Um, But it's just worth mentioning that you take what works for you and you leave the rest. And in this revisit, we're going to be revisiting some of those things that absolutely the science is still the science on most of this stuff, but our approach to it is a little bit different. I... I'm really excited to talk about Emily's question because eczema was one, like it was related to my like initial starting place, which brought me to this entire health journey just over a decade ago. So for me, having uh, dealt with eczema most of my life and then having it be one of the things that resolved the quickest after I first started making diet changes like I resonate so much with Emily's question. So why don't I read it and then we'll we'll jump in. So Emily wrote, I had eczema on my body, arms, knees, groin, hands, belly, which started in my mid-30s and became most severe during my fourth pregnancy at age 37. Multiple treatments tried, including acupuncture, naturopathic supplements, did not achieve much improvement. In late 2018, I did Whole30 diet twice and saw marked improvement and then transitioned to a paleo diet. All eczema cleared by 2020, with very small areas on hands remaining. Fall 2020, eczema on lips started. I don't have eczema anywhere else now. I am now wondering if this is parietal, that's a really hard word to pronounce, parietal dermatitis, um, and if it's related to my previous eczema and how to treat it. Now that it is fall, the lips are beginning to worsen. Thank you, Emily. Emily, first of all, amazing job working on solving these skin conditions so well so far. That is a lot of eczema that I'm sure was not pleasant at all as you're in your fourth pregnancy with an expanding belly. So um, that's huge. And we're going to dive deeper into both the internal and external thoughts on what might help. Because as Sarah said, um, 
she has experience with skin conditions and my son Finn is one of the reasons that our family adopted a lifestyle early on with his very severe eczema. And you'll hear a little bit about where we were years ago with that in this revisit of the show. And then we'll give an update on where we are each now that we've had some time to work on that and heal. Uh, But just a reminder that we are not medical professionals and we are not giving medical advice um, on this show. So if you do feel like you are in need of medical intervention or want to talk to your doctor, we encourage you to do that. I know I did when Finn was young, and I think I probably talk on the show about how his doctor had recommended steroids as the next step if we couldn't get it under control, which is why I started to make lifestyle changes for him. So without further ado, why don't we jump back and revisit episode 248, and then uh, and then we'll we'll come back with some updated science and some life updates and some skincare updates and all kinds of useful additions to that foundational content from episode 248 for Emily. So this is from um, a, a mother who is sort of struggling with one of her kids having eczema. Um, and one of the things that I, I really like about this question is that there's part of this question that is sort of like the technical, right? How do you actually treat eczema? And then part of it, it's like, how do you get a kid to make choices that are healing choices? Um, and so I, I feel like we can, we can tackle this question from both sides. So maybe I should just read the question and we can get on with it. I think it's also a good bridge from last week's episode for those who, you know, are reading in a linear fashion. Listening? They're not actually reading us. Yes, that's good. Yep. Stacey's yeah. awake. <laughs> So our listener writes, I'm a mom of four boys, two of whom have eczema. My 11-year-old is really struggling lately. He has had eczema for years, but it is getting worse. He has discoloration on his arms due to the eczema and since July has had recurring skin infections. The doctors, pediatrician, and dermatologist have no other suggestions besides creams and oral antibiotics. I asked about tips for trying an elimination diet or further testing for food sensitivities and was told that diet doesn't make much of a difference, which I don't believe. Do you have suggestions on how to proceed? Should we start with an elimination diet, paleo, or should we have further medical testings or testing for food sensitivities? He had basic allergy testing a few years ago, and that was negative. We use natural skincare and cleaning products. He also has a history of being on antibiotics quite a bit in the past, frequent ear infections and ear tubes as an infant, then eight or more bouts of strep throat about four years ago. He has been on oral antibiotics three times since July for the skin infection, and another time we waited to fill a prescription and just use a prescription antibiotic ointment, and that helped for the most part. I hate for him to be on antibiotics again, but he showed me tonight that he has some spots and that are severe and look infected again. I'm desperate for some advice. I'm working on going paleo myself, but I'm not 100% at this time. Any suggestions on how to help the family get on board? I recently found your podcast and keep hearing about the Paleo Family Toolkit, but it seems that isn't available anymore. Any tips would be appreciated. Thanks. So my heart hurt for that kid as we read off the number of issues that um, has been ailing him. Um, I would say that um, 
I myself have a son who has eczema, first of all, fist bumps to, um, a family of boys. Um, but I think first and foremost, you know, my, my recommendation would be, um, to approach it together. So I think, um, my children really appreciate when we say we're going to do something together as a family. And we've done things like, um, what we call a junk food reset, which is kind of like our family's version of a cross between a whole 30 and a 21 day sugar detox, um, or what looks like either phase two or phase three in real life paleo, um, where we stick to clean eating for, um, a committed period of time between us as a family. And we say what, what we're going to do. And in the case of, you know, eczema, I would recommend, um, and I'm sure Sarah can talk about the science of it, a couple of additional, um, removals from the, um, table, so to speak, um, from the rotations for anywhere from two, two weeks to 30 days, however long you think you can get your kids to, to commit. When I did it, I asked my kids for 14 sleeps because 30 days would have seemed like too long for them. Um, and I was able to see results in my, um, middle son who has eczema in that time frame, although we were able to see better results, um, kind of at the four to six week mark. So, um, I would say that doing it as a family and, and being committed to, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to see um, how much better we're going to feel or, you know, whatever. And I think um, for me, there were things that we did um, to offset or prioritize food. So instead of feeling deprived about the lack of grains or the lack of dairy, the lack of sugar, which are going to be like the most inflammatory foods. Um, I focused on, okay, well, we're going to get a new game as a family and this week and after dinner, we're all going to play the game together as a family. And then maybe if you're used to, you know, sitting on the sofa, watching TV, eating popcorn after dinner, um, you're focused on a different activity and kind of changing your habits from that perspective, which I think is a lot easier when you're trying to break something like a food habit. Um, so specifically, I do think, uh, to answer your, your question, an elimination diet is really key to improving, um, what sounds like, uh, probably imbalanced gut health. I don't want to, you know, give a medical diagnosis over a podcast because I don't know your family. Um, but the list of ailments that were read off and the, you know, heavy use of antibiotics would lead me to believe that, um, there's, there's some, uh, dysbiosis of, of some kind. And I'm sure Sarah can, can talk about the details of that, but, um, you know, from, from my perspective, I think the more that you can, um, focus on those, those healthy habits in general and, and positive things and doing it as a family, um, it'll help you be committed if you want to do it. And it'll help your child be committed, um, so that they can experience the improvement in their health as well. Yeah, so um, I guess I should tackle some of the more um, technical aspects of this question. Um, eczema, it's, you know, it's really hard to draw a direct link between eczema and food sensitivities. Um, and a food sensitivity is different than an 
allergy. So an allergy is when our bodies have uh, make IgE antibodies against a protein in that food or, or what's called an antigen in a food antigen. Um, we can produce different types of antibodies against that food. Um, and those are not allergies. They don't show up on allergy tests because it doesn't create histamine. Um, they're called intolerances, technically, if it's an IgG or IgA or IgM antibody. Um, and then there's also other ways that we can react to foods that have nothing to do with antibody formation. And those are more broadly called food sensitivities. Um, there is some indication in the scientific literature that um, common food intolerances, um, and they look really, they look at like the top eight allergen foods, um, are related to eczema. We know that eczema has a much higher occurrence rate in uh, kids who also have food allergies. Um, and there's a lot of anecdotal evidence to suggest that, uh, like, and beyond the paleo community, right? So, you know, ditching top eight allergy foods for eczema has been a thing for decades um, in terms of alternative care. And it, it's often extremely effective. Um, it was actually um, eczema along with um, another skin condition that brought me to paleo in the first place. And I have not had eczema since my first two weeks on paleo. Um, and my kids um, who both had patches of eczema have not had eczema since going gluten free. Like they didn't even need to go completely paleo. So the idea of eczema being diet-related is not crazy, although it's clearly also more complex than that. So the current thinking with eczema is uh, it used to be thought of as being a sort of primary immune function disorder. So the immune system is attacking the skin, and it's not thought to be that anymore. It's now thought to be some kind of... Um, barrier abnormality or barrier dysfunction of the skin that is allowing toxins and irritants and antigens into the deeper layers of skin. So the, the skin is not working very well in terms of its barrier function. So it's not working to keep what should be outside the body out and what's inside the body in. Um, and that that leak, you know, it's like leaky skin. We talk about leaky gut a lot, but eczema is basically leaky skin. That's what primes the immune system. And then the immune system perpetuates the eczema patches. So it's um, thought now that dysfunctional skin barrier it happens first, and then the immune reaction happens second. And dysfunctional skin barrier, you know, we can, there's certainly some genetics here. So they've, they have isolated um, a couple of gene variants that uh, affect a protein in skin called filigrin um, and, and affect how that filigrin forms and that that can actually increase uh, risk of eczema. And there may be some other genetics at play here. Um, but we also know, for example, that skin health is very, very tied to gut microbiome health, um, which is, you know, Stacey, you had sort of picked up on the same thing that I had is, is the frequent antibiotic use. And I don't want, you know, I really want to emphasize that um, no one should feel shame at giving their kids antibiotics. Um, I've given my kids antibiotics several, both of them, several times since going paleo. Antibiotics uh, are a life-saving medication and there's definitely a time and place for them. We, we avoid antibiotic use when it's not clearly indicated. 
and we do a lot of things to help recover our gut microbiomes after antibiotics. Um, but more just from a flag of, you know, frequent antibiotic use, it definitely causes a lack of biodiversity of the, of the gut microbiome. And that can be a real problem from a general health perspective and places where we see that, um, is often skin. So there's, there's a direct connection between gut health and skin health. And, um, and so fixing, you know, helping to grow a, a better diversity and correcting any potential dysbiosis in the gut is, is super important for dealing with eczema. And then there's also a few key nutrients that are really, really important for skin barrier health, but just, you know, barrier tissue health in general. Um, the two probably most important are vitamin A, and that's the animal form of vitamin A, retinoic acid. So we get that from organ meat like liver and seafood and also vitamin D. And so I think, you know, it should be a pretty easy ask to get one of um, the boys uh, doctors to do a vitamin D check. Um, and the, they usually, I think the the normal lab range is like 29 or 30 to 80 or something like that. It really, vitamin D really should be more in that sort of 50 to 60 range. So if it's down around 30, um, that's a, even if they're not calling it low, that's still a good indication that um, a vitamin D supplement would be useful. And then you just want to retest because uh, too much vitamin D can also be a problem. So you don't want to be going much above 80. Um, there can be definitely problems starting once vitamin D gets around 100. So um, so vitamin A and vitamin D, which um, you know, vitamin D we can also get from grass-fed meats and from seafood and from spending time out in the sun. Um, not everybody is great vitamin D converters, and that's where a supplement can be really helpful um, and generally – uh, you know, generally when people have low vitamin D, it can be very, very hard to get enough from food. So, um, so taking a supplement there is also you know, totally warranted. And you specifically want to look for a vitamin D3 supplement. So those are two, um, two nutrients that people are, I mean, there's estimates that approximately 75% of Americans are deficient in vitamin D. Um, something like 57% of us don't get enough uh, vitamin A, and that's even including, you know, what's called retinal equivalency. So that's looking at, you know, beta carotene and other carotenoids that can be converted into vitamin A. But conversion is like five to six percent, so it's it's actually pretty inefficient. Um, and there's some other, you know, when you're talking about immune system health, zinc can be very very important. Um, and zinc is also very good for for skin health. So there's some, also some minerals. Um, that can be very, very helpful, but zinc sort of stands out and making sure that, um, the boys are getting enough protein, um, especially glycine, which is rich in collagen. So you could be doing something like vital proteins, collagen peptides, which you can mix in just about any liquid, um, or making gummies with gelatin or making homemade bone broth. Glycine is a main component of, um, collagen. Um, so that's the, that's a, you know, our skin is very, very high in collagen. That's what makes it, uh, bendy. So, uh, glycine is very, very important. Um, arginine is also, uh, important and in, uh, collagen formation. So, um, 
you may get arginine, especially from like seafood, but we can also get a good amount from nuts and seeds. Um, although tree nuts might want to be eliminated just because of their high allergen and, um, intolerance potential. And then, um, glutamine can be very, very helpful. We also get that from broth and from meats. Um, but also that you can get L-glutamine in supplement form that can be very helpful, helpful for gut barrier health, but it also can be very good for, um, skin barrier health and just general repair of damaged tissues in the body. So looking at, um, you know, part of this is looking at diet, not in terms of, is it paleo? Is it an elimination diet? But looking at it in terms of, is this diet providing the nutrients that the skin needs to, to have its barrier function? So, you know, are my kids, you know, are they getting enough vitamin D? Are they getting enough vitamin A? Um, vitamin C is also very, very important for skin health and collagen deposition. So are they getting enough vitamin C? It's surprising. You think vitamin C is so easy to get. You know, kids love fruit, so you think they must be fine, but it's actually pretty easy to be vitamin C deficient. Um, vegetables in general, so all of the phytochemicals, really, really helpful for controlling inflammation, um, but also you know, antioxidants um, can be very, very helpful for barrier function for skin. Um, so looking at those things, I think make a lot of sense. So looking at the elimination side and cutting out triggers, paleo is an elimination diet. And especially if you look at the autoimmune protocol, that's like taking paleo to like the pinnacle of elimination diet status. Um, but then also looking at the, the just the nutrition that your kids are getting. So are they, you know, it's, it's not necessarily easy to, you can't make kids usually live in onions, but you can't hide liver from them. So, you know, are there sneaky ways that you can get more nutrition into their diet? That can make a huge, huge difference. So I would add that what can be really helpful to explain to children too is that this elimination period won't necessarily need to be forever. Um, because once we got Finn's eczema stabled and he wasn't having big um, inflammatory patches, it then enabled us to be able to reintroduce some foods. So for example, rice is not a problem for him. Um, but um, we also know that there are some foods that if he so much as gets it on his skin um, and, you know, has more than a couple of bites that it's going to cause him to, start to get kind of pink around the mouth, which is the warning signs of eczema reapproaching for him. Um, cause he, he gets it first on his face, but then he used to have whole body eczema. He also has not had full body eczema since we originally went paleo, but when he goes through periods where he eats a lot of tomatoes or he'll eat corn or he'll eat other things that I don't eat because I know that they cause me problems. He and I have the same uh, skin and inflammatory uh, issues, I notice that it starts to pop up in him. And so the answer to your question is, how do I talk to my kids about this? Um, you know, for me, Finn, Finn started paleo when he was two and a half and he didn't know what was happening really. But um, now he knows that um, 
you know, he wants gluten-free treats. He wants popcorn. He wants to eat gluten-free pizza like his brothers. He want because it has tomato and cheese on it. Um, that those kinds of food cause much more issues for him than they do in, let's say, his father and his brothers. So, um, you know, I find ways to talk to him about it and we find alternatives. Um, he really likes honey mustard instead of ketchup now. Um, or he'll even sometimes use mayonnaise as a dipping condiment. <laughs> like if that's the only option. Um, and I think, you know, it, it allows me to have a conversation with him when I see him um, be responding to those kinds of foods by saying, okay, this is a food that's really causing your body harm. It's hurting you. It's making your skin dry and itchy. If you continue to eat these, you're going to have problems. Let's try to, you know, not eat any of these foods for a week and see if we can get your skin to be better. Um, the other thing that we haven't really talked about that I think would be helpful when you feel like we've addressed all of the inside stuff is there are some outside solutions, um, topical mm-hmm. treatments for the skin that have also been really helpful for, for him. Um, and for me as well, cause I have really sensitive skin. Um, I don't necessarily have eczema, but I do think that when you're talking about treatments and you're especially talking about getting to a point where, you know, um, there's antibiotics involved because it's an infection. Are you talking about, you know, with thin, there were steroid creams and whatever. Um, it's really helpful for me now to be able to, you know, have an arsenal of products that help when I see things starting to come on that I know will reduce inflammation or will, will not kind of shock his, his body from the kind of, um, ingredients that might be in a product. Yeah. So, um, before we, I think that's a really good place to wrap up. But before we go there, I wanted to um, elaborate a little bit on the gut health connection, just from a like, how do you implement that part at home? So the two factors that have the fastest and strongest corrective influence on what bacterial strains are growing in the gut. One is eating a lot of vegetables and fruit. Um, but so, you know, diet rich, rich in fruit and vegetables, which is something that you're going to do with paleo, but it's also something that you can do on your way to paleo. So as you, you know, say, Hey, we're, we're, we're going to do, uh, we're going to like with my kids, we did gluten-free first and then we did, uh, we did gluten and legumes. Legumes was not a hard thing for my family to, to get rid of. We didn't eat a ton of them beforehand. Um, so we kind of gluten-free and then grain-free and then dairy-free, um, while also giving up things like sugars. You know, my oldest already reacted terribly to, to food dyes. So that was already not a thing we did. So there was little bits and pieces we didn't have to work very hard to do. Um, but as you're implementing the elimination diet part with kids, which I think, um, it depends on your kids. Like, you know, Stacy was able to just say, Hey, 14 sleeps with my kids. We did it in bits and pieces. And so it really depends on the personalities and ages that you're dealing with. But, um, but eating more vegetables can be like a concurrent step, right? Like, Hey, we're going to try gluten-free, but we're also going to try and eat, you know, more broccoli and carrots, right? Like that's, you know, it's, it's not, um, it's not usually that hard of a thing for, to be able to implement with kids. So there's lots of ways of cooking vegetables that can appeal to different, kid palates. Um, so a lot of vegetable intake. So it's specifically the fiber from fruits and vegetables that are corrective and also, um, omega-3 fatty acids. So we, there's something about, 
um, eating a lot of, it's eat, basically eating a lot of fish, eating a lot of seafood, um, even potentially in the beginning phases doing a, a fish oil supplement. There's ones that you can get um, that are like a flavored fish oil that you just take off a spoon. The one that I have used before that's good quality is called Nutrisy that, you know, Whole Foods carries it, but so do lots of like supplement stores. Um so even doing fish oil for like a month just to, to get on top of it can be very, very helpful. And there's separate studies showing that fish oil supplementation can be helpful in eczema. So that's a whole other separate thing. But um, uh, omega-3s have a really strong corrective influence on gut bacteria. So fat seems to affect them – it sort of affects the environment. So we know, for example, that really high saturated fat intake grows undesirable strains – for example, can can increase growth of uh, gram-negative bacteria like E. coli. Um, and not that saturated fat is bad. It's just that high saturated fat intake is bad. So um, saturated fat really needs to be moderated. You know, hunter-gatherers got about 13% of their calories from saturated fat. Um, and then high omega-3s can be very, very helpful for correcting gut microbiome. And there's actually studies that show that like two weeks of fish oil by itself and no other changes to the diet improves the composition and diversity of the gut microbiome. So when you can combine that with eating more vegetables, that has the potential to be extremely powerful. And then also seeing where you can add either a probiotic or, you know, when you get something like a raw sauerkraut that has way more strains of, of probiotic bacteria in it than any supplement. So um, like the most amazing, impressive supplements now are like 20 strains. Most that you can get just at a regular store would be between one and say eight strains. Uh, sauerkraut has like 650 strains. So just a little comparison about that. Um, but you can try things like kombucha. Um, you can try things like water kefir. Um, you know, those are actually much easier for me to get my kids to consume. They like kombucha. They like um, water kefir. They don't like sauerkraut, um, but there's definitely some overlap in the strains. Kombucha and kefir also have um, some beneficial yeast strains, um, so that that can be very helpful as well. So where you can add some kind of fermented foods or probiotic to be able to basically re-inoculate the gut with good bacteria can be very, very helpful. And a lot of probiotics, the capsules, you can even open them up and sprinkle the powder on food or sprinkle it into a, you know, a glass of, of juice or, or something to get your kids to, to consume it. So, um, so those are the, the big tricks with gut health that can also sort of be done concurrently while tackling eliminations. The other one I would add is my kids really like the Bubby's pickles and the Bubby's relish, mm. um, which you can buy. Whole Foods has it. At almost most grocery stores that I shop at, at least. Um, there's seen usually... The, I've seen the sauerkraut in Kroger, but I haven't seen the other bubbies. And the, the other important thing to consider when Sarah says sauerkraut is it needs to be refrigerated with active and live cultures or, or um, it'll say strains or, you know, there might, might be different words. But if you're buying the kind that's like bagged on the shelf, it no longer has um, the, the live Yeah, if it says it. pasteurized on it, put it back. That's not... It's just, it's just fancy cabbage. Yeah. It's not, it's not got live good stuff in it. Um, I don't recommend this for eczema because I find uh, dairy to be a highly inflammatory food for people with skin issues, but yogurt is another source. If your family's eating high quality dairy, which we talked about on the last podcast, um, can be a place to, um, find 
pro There's also naturally. coconut milk yogurt is getting yeah, easier. That's true. Easier to coconut find. and almond milk yogurt. yogurt and yeah. almond milk yogurt. I mean, they usually have. Um, There's kinda, a lot of sugars. Yeah. They have sugars, and they usually have kind of cruddy emulsifiers, and you know they have like seven different bean extracts or whatever. But <laughs> um, but uh, you know it's. And you can also make coconut milk yogurt at home relatively easily. It's not that hard, although it's a pain in the butt. Um, but um, it's, it's not hard. It's just that it takes like 10 hours. That's all. That's all. Well, I think uh, if someone's jumping into paleo, it's a lot to ask them to make right, their own, to make your own yogurt. yogurt and I th- natural starters and all that kind of stuff. So I think that, um, you know, buying a coconut milk yogurt, even if it's got more sugar in it than you would normally want. And even though it's got some emulsifiers that are not great as a, here's what I can get that has probiotics into my kid. <laughs> and here's what we can do. That is a stepping stone towards paleo. Like, I think that's fine. And my kids, um, will go through phases where they really want yogurt. And I'm like, you know, their diet is so clean. Otherwise I tend not to worry about the, like one item that they have. That's maybe slightly suboptimal. Do you know what I mean? I agree. That's uh, that whole idea of transition. And I did write a book on that. If uh, people who are listening are trying to jump in, um, Relief Paleo does address that, that slower transition and kind of worse defenders. But for me, I would say with the specific experience I have with Finn, his trigger foods for what it's worth are dairy and nightshades. Um, he responds to popcorn, but in a different sort of way, uh, corn in general. Um, but in a different sort of way. So I don't know if that's eczema related, but his eczema flares, um, if he eats a lot of dairy or a lot of nightshades. So those are the two that when you're prioritizing, if you have a skin condition, um, those are the two that we immediately pull back, um, significantly or remove, uh, not significantly. we remove entirely when he starts to show signs of flaring. I don't eat, um, nightshades at all. And I only eat um, very limited, high fat, like heavy cream, uh, dairy, unless it's like a special occasion or, or treat or something like that, because I too have very sensitive skin. So just FYI. Welcome back to the current day. And before we update all kinds of cool science and how-to for dealing with eczema for Emily, a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by One Farm. One Farm is dedicated to sustainably creating USDA-certified organic, fair-trade, plant-based remedies made with ingredients sourced from the people who grow them, including the CBD I use and love. We've done a few deep dives on previous episodes about the benefits of CBD, including our recent episodes on pain management and anxiety, It is such a huge relief for both for me. Yep. CBD works by modulating our body's endocannabinoid system, which is an important signaling network within our bodies that regulates the interface between pain sensation, the emotional response, including maladaptations like depression and anxiety, and the physiological response like inflammation and the stress response. The science is pretty mind-blowing on how helpful it can be for so many people. And One Farm oversees every aspect of production, starting with growing industrial-grade hemp on their USDA organic farm in Colorado, extracting hemp oil safely with carbon dioxide, and using a certified lab that tests every batch with a third party. It ensures an incredibly pure product with just CBD. 
Many things can lurk in mainstream market CBD, and One Farm doesn't use ethanol or any harsh solvents like heptane, hexane, or acetone in their extraction process. I love knowing that One Farm tests their products to ensure no THC is included either. It helps me not just feel good about taking it for myself, but my pediatrician even recommended it for helping with kids. So I'm not a medical professional. I'm not going to give medical advice, but I will say it's been super helpful for our family personally. And because their hemp extract is so pure, it has no harsh or grassy hemp aftertaste, and it never contains particulates. Their CBD oil comes unflavored for people like Sarah who enjoy raw lettuce, (laughs) or for people with taste buds, lemon, peppermint, even cinnamon, or in soft gels, and transdermal, which you can use on pets, or the turmeric cream, which is great on sore spots. I'm super jazzed to try their turmeric latte too after a recent episode on pain management that stuff looks solid i've had it it is delicious if you too want to give it a try you can get 15 percent off with code wholeview at onefarm.com slash the whole view Today's podcast is brought to you by Warby Parker, who is committed to providing exceptional vision care online and in stores, offering eyeglasses, sunglasses, eye exams, and contact lenses. They sent us each five frames to try on, and now we don't want to give them back. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I have to admit that I was skeptical at first. Even selecting which frames to try based on photos from the website seemed really challenging, but they arrived yesterday, and I loved every single pair. My family helped me choose my favorite. And I love that if you are unsure and don't have such opinionated teenagers at home, Warby Parker even has stylists to help you choose. I actually ended up booking a last minute optometrist appointment for today just so I could get an updated prescription because I'm so obsessed with one of the pairs that Warby Parker sent me that I just can't wait to wear them. And I don't need prescription glasses, but I do wear them almost every day. They're like an accessory for me and I own a about a dozen pairs of blue light glasses. <laughs> I'm learning that I'm like a hoarder of random things um, as we do these. And um, I loved the options that I chose with Warby Parker. If you're not familiar with the benefits of blue light blocking glasses, which is what I use them for, we talked about them on the show previously. Yep. On episode 302, we learned that using blue light blocking glasses protects our eyes from strain, but it is not likely to hinder our internal clock as long as you see the sunlight at some point during the day. This is especially important for people who look at a screen during the day because LED screens have more blue light and can interfere with melatonin, especially in the evening. Okay, so Sarah, I want to know which styles you got since you and I have a very different fashion sense. (laughs) I'm curious if we had overlap. Oh, probably not. I think square styles look best on me and medium to narrow fits my face the best. So I actually sorted on that on the Warby Parker website and ended up trying Clark in Blue Marblewood, Welty in Whiskey Tortoise, Claire in Brushed Ink, and both Oliver and Wilkie in Eastern Bluebird Fade. And Wilkie's totally the one I'm going with. Yeah, I am quite the opposite. I love me a very wide cat eye style. So um, I got the Haley and Shay in bright colors like peacock green and russet red, of course. And then I also tried um, 
out of my comfort zone, uh, two different more square styles, Halley and Weathers in Periwinkle and Lapis. But I got them in wide and extra wide thinking that they would give the appearance of that shape that I love. And I'm really glad that I tried so many because what I thought I'd like is what I not ended up loving. Um, so I can't really choose between the three that I like. So I'm going to be doing like a social post later and asking for help. <laughs> Because I was like, oh, I love this one the most. And Matt was like, no, I love this one the most. And I don't dare ask my teenagers because I don't want to hear their opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Crowd, crowdsourcing it is. Yeah. Uh, at Warby Parker, glasses start at just $95, including prescription lenses, which, you know, I'm updating mine for. You can try Warby Parker's free home try-on program. Order five pairs of glasses to try on at home for free for five days. There's no obligation to buy. It ships free and includes a prepaid return shipping label. Don't let your FSA or HSA dollars go to waste. Put them to good use on Warby Parker prescription glasses, prescription sunglasses, contact lenses, and eye exams. Try five pairs of glasses at home for free at warbyparker.com slash wholeview. Welcome back to reality. Um, so Sarah, I'm super excited for you to revisit some of the science and if there are any updates. Specifically, I think we've learned a lot more about how we approach science from this perspective, right? Like the the expansion of, for example, gut health has been something that you've researched so much on. So what can you tell us about some of the updates or I don't know if there's any changes, but um, I'm curious to to kind of hear from you. Yeah, I um, I think, you know, what's kind of fun to go back and revisit this show is that the foundational science of you know, eczema as sort of leaky skin is is still solid, right? That is still what the the science sort of describes. And the increased understanding in terms of the pathogenesis of of eczema, right? The development of eczema is that that's only like an incremental difference in the scientific literature. But what I really want to add to this conversation is expanding on the gut skin axis and the role that our gut microbiomes play in skin health, not necessarily because this science is super brand new, although definitely, you know, the citations that I'm, I'm going to be including in the show notes this week are all, you know, studies from the last couple of years, but rather my understanding of the gut microbiome and uh, at a very, you know, very detailed level is something that has culminated over the last few years, right? I've been researching gut microbiome for something like seven years now. And so my understanding of it is at a point where I feel like I can explain it in a way that hopefully um, is a little bit more helpful. So there is this thing called the gut-skin axis, and it's basically a crosstalk mainly from our gut microbiomes to our skin. And there's actually a, just a ton of studies showing that gut dysbiosis of various forms, right? Gut, dys gut dysbiosis refers to any imbalance in the microbes that live in our digestive tracts. 
can cause disruption of the skin barrier, right? A skin function. And that can lead to a wide variety of conditions, right? Like psoriasis, like acne, and like eczema, also technically called atopic dermatitis. And while all of the different mechanisms aren't completely known, there are a bunch of mechanisms that have been identified that really show a direct link. So the first link that's really well described in the scientific literature is systemic inflammation. So we know that imbalances in our gut microbes lead to activation of very select types of cells, but like the effector T cells that are overactive in a lot of inflammatory conditions in autoimmune disease, for example, even though eczema is not an autoimmune condition, while also suppressing regulatory T cells, the ones that are supposed to keep the immune system in check so that you don't have systemic inflammation. So we know that there is a link between um, what the gut microbiome composition is and its metabolism and how our immune systems are regulating themselves. And we know that this sort of pattern of, of chronic inflammation translates between the gut and the skin and that that abnormal immune response in the skin is uh, sort of a, it, it is the thing that can have that initial disruption of the skin barrier, which causes itch and irritation, which then drives increased inflammation, right? It can, it can be that first pushing of the snowball down the hill to create the snowball of bad. It's not just, though, the inflammation. There's some other really interesting mechanisms. So our gut bacteria, uh, as they are going through their life cycle, they eat food. They eat the food that we eat. Um, or for example, they they can also eat things like um, the mucus and cells that are shedded from our uh, gut lining. That's a normal process. It's actually a, a really cool thing that our gut bacteria do it's to help to renew the, our gut linings, which that's a, a normal good job that they would do. Um, but as they eat things in our gut, they produce waste uh, or also would be called metabolic byproducts. And some of these are really beneficial, right? When you have a healthy gut microbiome, your gut bacteria are producing vitamins and short chain fatty acids, which improve cellular health, right? They can produce lots of really beneficial things for us. They can metabolize phytonutrients into an even wider variety of phytonutrients that are more easily absorbed. So many good things that our gut bacteria do. But when we have an imbalance in our gut microbiome and we have for example, an overgrowth of not good strains of bacteria, some of those metabolic byproducts are no longer beneficial compounds. And there's a variety of studies showing that those can enter, they can cross the gut barrier, whether we have leaky gut or not, because these tend to be small molecules, enter our bloodstreams and accumulate in the skin. And so these are basically toxic byproducts of certain types of gut bacteria that are not particularly desirable. And when these compounds accumulate in our skin, it does things like reducing keratin synthesis, which weakens the skin barrier. So then it makes it more susceptible to inflammation. So we're having right these related mechanisms. Uh, there's also a direct mechanism. Um, certain types of not great bacteria in our gut 
will cause increased intestinal permeability, colloquially referred to as leaky gut. Um, and then you're getting all kinds of inflammatory compounds coming into the bloodstream. Um, but I actually think the most fascinating link between our gut bacteria and our skin health is actually the neuroendocrine relationship. So our gut bacteria both directly produce neurotransmitters like norepinephrine, like serotonin, like acetylcholine, but they also impact the activity of specialized cells in the gut that also produce neurotransmitters. So we have these cells called uh, enterochromaffin cells, which is just a fun word to pull out at a party. Um, and you can just say, oh, the serotonin being produced by my enterochromaffin cells is making me have to go to the bathroom because that's actually no, don't, don't say that what they party. do. You're going to no, get kicked it's, out. It's, uh, <laughs> it's just, go, just go to the type of parties I go to where that's <laughs> just cool. So um, – so uh, our peristalsis is mainly regulated with serotonin and melatonin. And so enterochromaffin cells, one of, their, one of their main jobs is to produce serotonin in the gut to help control peristalsis, right? That coordinated movement of materials through the digestive tract. And um, it, they actually, what happens if you have an irritant in your gut, so like food poisoning, right? Um, it, those cells, the enterochromaffin cells, increase how much serotonin they're producing. And that's actually what causes the uh, expulsion of gut irritants in a sometimes unpleasant manner, both up and down. Uh, it's actually regulated Are you by this a flush of serotonin. What I refer to as an everything out moment. Yes, but everything out in either direction. Right. Yeah. So... Here's what's really interesting. So that's like the extreme, right? Food poisoning, right? Um, but in gut dysbiosis, you can have a small increase in serotonin production from enterochromaffin cells as a result of the activity of some of these undesirable strains of bacteria, which can still cause some GI symptoms, but a like more minor version, like an IBS type version compared to a food poisoning type version. So here's the link to eczema. Uh, increased serotonin triggers an itch scratch response, which is, of course, as we've already shared in our, our uh, revisit of episode 248, really, really important for the pathogenesis of, of eczema. So uh, there's a direct link between our gut bacteria and their activity and gut health in general and our uh, skin and that you know, the, the scratch that itches is kind of how eczema is often referred to, right? Um, and that part of the eczema pathogenesis where the actual itch scratching at that itch is part of what's disrupting the skin barrier. And it's mediated through serotonin, the neurotransmitter. Fascinating stuff. Um, there's also some other links to neurotransmitters that our gut bacteria um, influence. So there have been studies showing that there's lower levels of acetylcholine in eczema patches, um, and acetylcholine is uh, a neurotransmitter that is thought to help prevent inflammation and is likely related to a lack of specific species of lactobacillus in the gut microbiome, specifically lactobacillus plantarum has been very strongly linked as an acetylcholine producer. 
So taken all together, I know the, the awesome, you know, the next question is like, well, what are, what are the, what are the bacteria that I want? Like, what are, what are the good bacteria that can help regulate the gut skin axis in a way that's going to benefit eczema? Um, some of the most important species that have been studied either in animal models or there are some human studies as well are lactobacillus species. Um, so the ones that have had the most, uh, sort of notable, uh, improvements to skin health are lactobacillus ruteri, lactobacillus brevi, and lactobacillus paracasei, um, as well as lactobacillus plantarum. And, uh, Fecalibacterium protsnitsi is also a really important, I mean, that's a keystone species that's really important for all kinds of different health things. And what's awesome about these particular strains is that they're ones that are very sensitive to our diets and very straightforward to support their growth with, you know, sort of gut, gut health focused choices as are laid out in in intricate detail in my eBooks, the gut health guidebook and the gut health cookbook. So these are all species that just eating more vegetables, eating more fruit, eating more seafood, eating more olive oil, eating nuts and seeds. These are species that are, are sensitive to our diets, but also, um, are not the hardest ones to kind of reintroduce into our guts and get to, to grow and, and be happy. So there's a variety of studies showing that even just increasing fiber intake can be helpful, but also a pretty standard lactobacillus bifidobacterium type probiotic can be very helpful. Um, so as a quick summary of the diet that's sort of laid out in the gut health guidebook, plenty of vegetables, fruit, mushrooms, nuts, seeds, legumes, if you tolerate them. So basically rich sources of fiber and phytonutrients are really important for the gut microbiome and also diversity, right? Thinking about each fruit and veggie family as its own food group and aiming to eat from as many different fruit and vegetable families daily as possible. Um, and I'll point our, our listeners back to episode 424, where we talked about the benefits of 30 fruits and vegetables a week. The main benefit is on the gut microbiome because our uh, very, very small differences in fiber structure can make a big difference in which bacteria want to eat that fiber. So that's why a diversity of sort of whole food sources of fiber are really important. Uh, fish uh, intake or something like fish oil, which we talked about in episode 415, super important. Hydration in general, we talked about that in episode 406. Um, nut a nutrivore approach, so our gut bacteria are very um, sensitive to the nutrient densities of our diets. They're particularly sensitive to uh, inadequate intake of especially fat-soluble vitamins, but also a lot of different minerals. So we talked about Nutrivor uh, in episode 437, but we also talked about the snout to tail aspect and the organ mean aspect in episode 475. They love an extra version olive oil. So we went through um, cooking fats for gut health in episode 414. And our gut bacteria are also really sensitive to our lifestyle choices. So getting enough sleep, managing stress, increasing activity, but avoiding overtraining. And then beyond that, a probiotic, um, something like just Thrive Probiotic 
or eating a lot more fermented foods like sauerkraut, kombucha, kefir are all going to be things that are going to help uh, re-inoculate the gut with important species, um, but also maintain that introduction of keystone species that make a really healthy environment for all of these lactobacillus that are so important for the gut skin access to thrive. I am not at all surprised. I do think it's funny, like listening to you run through all these things that we've addressed. I feel like maybe Emily might get a little overwhelmed um, before listening to all those shows. It's probably about a year's worth of listening. (laughs) Um, So I do want to mention that specific to Emily's question, having a reaction around the mouth specifically is strongly indicative to a reaction to food. So we sometimes see, often in children especially, um, see that dry winter weather as the dehydration of just everything happens. Sun, the sun goes away, right? Like Sarah mentioned, vitamin D levels. Um, and and that dehydration causes you to kind of lick, lip your, lick your lips. Um, and so it causes irritation around the mouth. So if you think about like that red chapped ring around the mouth um, that you often see in young kids who just like keep licking it and making it worse, um, we talked about how to kind of avoid that if you're experiencing any of those dry skin conditions in episode 431. And we go into the detail of the science on skin and our recommendations there. So I would definitely do that. But if you're just having like tingling and irritation around your mouth and it comes and goes, um, I personally would try to start doing an elimination diet based on what I think might be bothering me because anything that I experience around the mouth or even kind of in that jaw area, um, my body is telling me you just ate something that you don't, that doesn't agree with you. So it could be as simple for Emily specifically around the mouth as figuring out um, what food might be irritating and we see most commonly with skin conditions that that obviously gluten um, and dairy are going to be prioritizations. You would have heard earlier on us talk about um, being paleo. I am not, our entire family is not paleo anymore. We don't identify that way and we don't strictly eat that way. But when our skin inflames, so in particular with thin, um, we are strictly gluten-free all the time and we prioritize our dairy consumption to be quality dairy. So, you know, grass-fed, A2, things like that. And he limits his nightshades because those are the three things that we have seen his eczema directly spike and react to. And I think we probably talked about it on that show, but I know you've talked about it a lot before, Sarah, that when you have nightshades, that's when your skin condition like flares for you. That's mm-hmm. normally it, it, you know, it's at bay, right? But like a nightshade is, and when you see it come up, it's how you know, like, oh, I ate something that doesn't agree with me. Yeah. Yeah, and I was going to add to the the list of contenders to think about as eggs, um, mm. just because there are quite a lot of studies that look at food intolerances and eczema and eggs is one of those ones that comes up a lot. So um, you know those the the top allergy foods are actually the the probably the first ones to start 
paying attention to. Um, and especially if it's a food, you know, for Emily, it kind of started, right. She can pinpoint time-wise, right. Mm -hmm. When, when this particular, um, eczema on her lips started and that thinking about what seasonally did I start eating more of at that time can be a really good place just to reflect and, and sort of start that troubleshooting. Cause I'm, you know, I'm an all in kind of person, right? Like I, uh, my health journey sort of started with low carb, then it started with, you know, then it moved on to paleo, then it moved on to AIP. And in all of those times I had a day where I just, you know, cold Turkey jump in with both feet, but that's my personality. And it's not the way that making lasting diet changes works for everybody. So I, I want to also acknowledge that with an elimination type approach, it's perfectly valid to eliminate one food at a time and see how it goes. Um, if eliminating 10 foods right now seems overwhelming, especially as we're, you know, in the middle of the holiday season, like that just might be a, a really big thing to think about. Just be aware that if you're going to do a uh, one food at a time approach. If two foods are contributing to it, you might not be able to identify them just by cutting out one at a time, right? So I think one of the reasons why my first foray into the paleo diet uh, over 10 years ago made such a huge difference to my health was that I'm incredibly sensitive to both dairy and gluten. And that was the first time I had ever eliminated them both at the same time. And I, I think that's why it was so transformative for me, at least in those early few weeks before I realized I still had to dig deeper and that brought me to the autoimmune protocol. So as a, uh, just, you know, broad strokes, thinking about elimination diets, I think thinking about those, those top allergy foods, uh, and gluten and dairy, of course, are both on those lists. That's a really great starting place. Anything that you started eating more of, uh, in the season of when it started, it's also a good, a good thing to, to think about, and then, you know, I know that it can be much more straightforward for some people to eliminate one thing at a time, but just be aware that it could be even the interaction between two foods. Um, I used to have a, I don't know if I ever told you this, Stacey, I used to have, I probably still do. I just haven't, I haven't consumed this food in 14 years or something, but I used to, I developed an allergy when we lived in Arizona to cheap chocolate. So it was very specifically certain brands of not high quality chocolate. And I would only develop a rash wherever I had sun exposure. So if I did not go out into the sun within 24 hours of consuming the chocolate, no reaction. But if I did, which of course is, it's really hard to avoid the sun when you live in the desert. Um, then I would get a, a reaction uh, you know, like on my arms, on my neck, like my, on my face, wherever, uh, wherever I had had sun exposure. And I just had like a really fantastic doctor who was like, oh yeah, this is a legit type of reaction that is like a sun plus food allergy type reaction. Uh, so, um, just know that there are types of reactions that require, you know, more than one thing to, to trigger. So that was a food plus sun um, but there are also like two foods interacting together that on their own won't necessarily cause an issue, but when you consume them at the same time will. That's fascinating. It kind of um, reminds me of how people react to rosacea, but obviously that's 
like a different kind of reaction, but it um, is exacerbated by the sun. But we know that the sun can be really helpful for a lot of skin conditions because your skin is your skin. Goodness, my mouth can't work today. (laughs) I didn't take my my brain fuel. Um, Your skin needs to synthesize vitamin D. And so um, a lot of people actually experience more skin conditions in the wintertime. So um, some other things other than kind of food. um, And then we'll get into kind of topically what you can do, because I do think that you need to address it both internally and topically for almost all skin conditions that you have. So uh, I just want to emphasize probiotic. Like when I'm talking to people who have skin conditions, the first thing that I say is, are you taking a probiotic? I'm not a doctor. um, But I know that from all the explanations that Sarah gave on gut health, that that is one of the best and easiest ways to support. And um, teenagers, especially who are experiencing a lot of inflammation and acne on their face benefit tremendously from that. It's not just eczema. It's not just rosacea. It's, you know, it's just incredibly helpful for your gut skin access in general. So um, the other thing to consider for eczema and dry skin conditions is more water. So are you properly hydrating? Because it's really difficult for your body to prioritize hydrating those external layers of your skin, which is what you're feeling, if you aren't drinking enough water. Um, When you're washing with water, to not use hot water. You don't want to scald skin that's already irritated. So you want to make sure that you're using like lukewarm, very mild water um, on the areas that are affected, especially. I personally have sensitive skin, so I like never take a hot shower or anything like that. But certainly when I'm washing my face, I'm using lukewarm water. And also anything else that's touching your face. So in Emily's case, um, she's getting eczema on her face and her hands. Um, In my son's case, he had eczema all over his whole body, but now it shows itself when it comes back up on his face. He doesn't really get it anywhere else. So in that case, using a silk or a bamboo, um, like a very soft kind of um, material, Maybe or inorganic cotton might work as well, but I think silk and bamboo work best. Um, pillowcase, and then making sure that you're washing it in clean detergent, right? So if you're experiencing any sort of dermatitis or eczema on your body, think about what's touching your body. What soap is are you using? What laundry detergent are you using? Oftentimes, people who have eczema on their hands are like using cleaning products or washing dishes a lot or doing things like that that are really... Um, allowing for toxins and bacteria to get into the skin. And we're going to talk about that because the the last kind of thing that I mentioned to people is we need to then exfoliate the skin and hydrate the skin. And the reason that we really need to prioritize exfoliating the skin is because that is how you're going to slough off those sick, dead layers that you're seeing and experiencing on the outside. And you're going to promote the regeneration and the healthy growth of new fresh skin to come up to the surface to be those fresh new layers that your skin makes. So back in episode 431, Sarah taught us about the science on the stratum cornea, but I just want to kind of high level revisit this for those who need a reminder, or if you're like, I'm just not going to go listen to another show. <laughs> like, we already made you revisit a different show today. I get it. So um, the structure of your skin cells 
as I said, do regenerate from the inside out. And the oldest cells are the ones that you're seeing on the outside layer of your body. The structure of all skin cells are like brick and mortar. And Sarah gave us the analysis um, of lipids being like the mortar that holds the bricks, the skin cells in place. So when you're envisioning what your skin structure looks like, imagine, you know, it's it's like brick and um, your body uses lipids, fats, to hold those structures in place, which is why um, I think also that we're seeing very positive reaction to how much um, gut health is loving uh, extra virgin olive oil, for example, right? Because I think that there is that axis and your skin needs healthy fats to use on the inside as much as it's going to need on the outside. The skin cells that are deeper on the inside are much more sensitive, to um, what comes through. And that's why your skin on the outside is providing a barrier to protect from those things getting through. And when you have dry skin, you can think about it like, I use the analogy like the desert, because a lot of people think that um, it... Okay. So I'm like, a lot of people think a lot of things about skin, but let me just tell you what it is um, instead of what people think is wrong. So if you think about the earth, like I'm talking mud and the water dries out, there's a drought and there's, there's no water. And then you start to see cracks in the earth and it separates and pulls apart. So if you have large pores, if you have um, acne, if you have dermatitis, if you have rosacea, if you have eczema, think about your skin like that dry earth that is then kind of being pulled apart. Dry skin kind of enlarges the pores and allows toxins through. Um, Those toxins could be environmental. It could also be bacterial. And Where you have areas like um, thinner skin on your face, especially around your eyes, or on high use areas where your skin's going to be turning over a lot, like your hands or your lips, which is obviously being used a lot, um, and coming into contact with more more, um, chemicals than maybe, you know, your ear, for example, is not touching as many things, you're going to be more prone to irritation. Um, So like I said, eczema, dermatitis, regardless of what Emily is experiencing, the results that I've seen from people both inside and outside are basically treated the same. So when that healthy stratum corneum layer, um, when it's healthy, it will shed approximately one layer a day. So kind of like we naturally shed our hair so that it can grow new hair. We're Mm -hmm. naturally shedding our skin. We're also shedding our taste buds, which was one of my favorite analogies for the kids back in the day. Um, But you, you want your skin to be regenerating all the time. And when it's irritated, like whether you have, um, sunburn, UV damage, signs of aging, or it's irritated because you have acne, or in Emily's case from eczema dermatitis, we need to assist that layer of skin to speed up its natural continuous shedding process so that you can reach the new healthy skin underneath. And then we need to nourish that skin underneath both inside and out so that those bricks can build properly, you know, um, the skin cells can be, you know, properly inlaid with the lipids and create healthy skin from 
the new layers that come up. So um, we talk a lot about healthy fats on the show. Fats that you put on your skin are not the same as skin on, on fats that you put in your body. So I get a lot of questions about like, well, this type of fat is in this skincare. I wouldn't eat that. It's not the same. I mean, obviously, we, we want to be using healthy fats. Um, but for example, I wouldn't eat jojoba oil, but it's <laughs> really great on my skin. <laughs> so um, and vice versa, right? There are some things that I would eat like coconut oil that a lot of people think is great for their skin, but it can actually be occlusive and it doesn't really have a lot of active skincare ingredients to like nourish and love your skin. So it's it, it what, what you put on your skin is absorbed, but not entirely. Your skin, if it is properly protecting you with that lipid barrier that we're talking about, it's not taking in 100% of what you're putting on your skin because it is made to be a protective barrier. And that's what we want to do is if you have irritated skin, that barrier isn't in place to keep out the bacteria and the toxins that could be coming in. Um, So that is what's causing the irritation and we've got to support that healthy layer. So um, I also want you to consider that for the deeper layers of the skin, that's where that environment that Sarah's talking about of creating, you know, positive gut health and hormone regulation and nutrient intake are really important because eventually those inner layers become outer layers and you want them to be healthy from the inside out. So, um, we can't just address this one way or the other. It has to be um, both topical and internal to really see positive results. And it sounds like Emily has done a lot to work on the internal. So I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the products that we love for the outside. So in particular, where Finn is in his eczema journey is he is gluten-free and he mostly avoids nightshades. (laughs) He eats dairy in the house and we prioritize, like I said, quality dairy. He doesn't really have an issue with dairy anymore. And um, he will eat like gluten-free pizza with red sauce and he will eat ketchup sometimes. He is a teenager and he's going to do what he's going to do. The great thing is, is that he has addressed all of those gut things that really created the problem to begin with. So as long as he doesn't overdo it and really like push his body too far, he does okay with that. But let's say he, you know, has ketchup and pizza multiple times in one week, then we're going to see his skin start to dry out and become irritated. And at the first sign of that, he uses a product that, um, is the only one that has worked for us. We've tried a lot of products, like even brands that specialize in eczema products. And the one that really works the best for him is cleansing balm. It's, it's a fat, it's a lipid, right? It's, it's hard like coconut oil and he just applies it right to his skin and leaves it on. So it's helping to kind of nourish and give the lipid to the areas when they first become dry so that he doesn't have to walk down like this, this huge path of it's already been there. Now, how do I solve it? Like he's able to kind of prevent it that way. I do want to encourage anyone who's experiencing some of these conditions to go listen to that dry winter skin show, because we talk a lot about the four step skincare routine and how important and why things like using a proper face wash and then prepping with either, you know, a toner or in the case of dry skin, like an essence where it's really nourishing with a lot of um, mineral-rich 
nutrients for the skin to prep the pH is very important. We talk about skin pH in that show. Um, and that is essential before using any other product as a treatment, which is the third step can be effective. So I don't want you to just hear me talk about some of these like treatment and protection steps and forget that the first few steps are very important to really prepare the skin. Um, and this is all specific to, to face, but we talk a lot about body products as well on that show. Um, so some of the other products that do really well, um, Beauty Counter has a number three balancing oil, which has yinling in it. And that is um, seemingly what does best for people when they have um, dry skin conditions like eczema, dermatitis, and rosacea. Now, again, none of these products are going to solve your problems. I'm not like giving medical advice, um, but it the, it's really soothing. It uses botanical acids that are very soothing and um, adding lipids is going to help support that moisture barrier like we talked about. Um, the other thing that is critical is exfoliating. So we've talked about how that dry layer is on the outside. It's dense, dead skin. It's, you know, it's no good. It's, it needs to, it needs to go away. <laughs> you need to sloth, slough it off. You need to exfoliate in order to get to the new skin underneath. That is not done with like an, um, a, what they call a physical exfoliator in a skin condition like sensitive skin, like eczema or rosacea. You want to be careful when you're exfoliating and you have a skin condition like that because you don't want to irritate and make it worse or have it feel awful. So the one product that I found that works really well for this particular um, need is called the Overnight Resurfacing Peel, which uses botanical acids both to break down the skin with um, your body's own um, acids. And this, this is very similar to, um, enzymes that your body uses to break down the skin to begin with, right? It's, it's using nature's own acids to, to sloth off those dead layers of skin, but then it also has soothing acid, soothing botanical acids in it as well so that it nourishes. So you would put this, um, serum on, it's called a peel, but it doesn't, it doesn't, peel. It's not like, it's not like a mask or something that you're peeling off and it doesn't make your skin peel off, but it will assist in the exfoliation. So you might wake up in the morning with some like, you know, dry, um, skin that you can just wash off easily. And, um, so after you put it on, you leave it on for like five to 10 minutes and then you put on a really nourishing, hydrating, um, like moisturizer afterwards. And in the case of eczema, I would recommend using the cleansing balm for this to just use it as kind of like a face mask overnight after the peel. And that has been really helpful for a lot of the people that I talk to. So all of those. And then the last thing that I would say is SPF. So we talked about um, the importance of sunlight in our safe sun care part one and two episodes and how important sunlight is specifically. Um, and the, the thing that is great about SPF is if you do have something like rosacea or eczema, that's going to get irritated by the sun, it's protecting you. And I would recommend something like Dew Skin that also has hyaluronic acid, which your body naturally has, but starts to deplete as you age. So hyaluronic acid in a skincare product can hold its moisture by weight, something like 1000 times its wow. weight. So a little bit of hyaluronic acid in um, a skincare product like Dew Skin can then, um, 
offer benefits towards hydration, which you really need, and it also has vitamin C in it. So vitamin C um, is magical for skincare because it is needed for your body to synthesize its own collagen, and it can be both topically and internally absorbed. The Albright C Serum is by far the absolute best vitamin C product on the market they use I know Sarah Sarah's I, I got words about this jump in and say I agree because <laughs> I, that stuff is magic and should be worshipped it is um so they're very careful about the stabilization of the vitamin C products they use, about the percentage of the vitamin C in it. There's two different kinds of vitamin C. One is kind of like a short-term reacting and one is a long-term. So you'll see immediate results, but then as you use it over time, you'll also see improvement in your skin. Um, and they're using like, I think it's aceroli cherries and... Um, a whole bunch of fruit I can't remember off the top of my head, as well as turmeric. So it's very anti-inflammatory as well. Um, it's won awards. It's great. And I highly recommend it for people who um, are in this position where their skin really needs a boost to create new layers of skin. So I, know Sarah, Sarah, I sent Sarah some. She didn't ask for it. I just sent it to her. And then <laughs> she like messaged me after. She's like, what is this? I want to bathe in it. <laughs> yes. Oh, that, I mean, Okay. My, my, uh, feedback to beauty counter, cause I know they care so much about what I think is I want that in like body lotion size. Wouldn't that be amazing? Oh. Yeah. That and the counter time mineral essence and the peel. Like I just, I want to get into a bathtub with those three things just like filled so that my whole body can just absorb all three of those products. Cause I feel really good when I take those personally. So, um, I, w I will say, you know, what has helped Finn specifically is the cleansing balm. So if there were like two products that someone was like, I can only get two, I would say that the overnight resurfacing peel to help with that, um, um, not physical exfoliation, but chemical exfoliation. And the word chemical is not a bad word. Everything is a chemical around us. Water is a chemical, right? It's Those are botanical acids that are helping to slough off that dead skin. And then you're using the cleansing balm as a hydrating mask. And you can also just put it like... Wesley used to get that red ring around his mouth. And I would just have him put on the cleansing balm like it were was like chapstick, but like all around the red ring. And it would go away in a day or two. So um, it might not be as magical for you, but those are the products that I've also recommended to other people and they've seen great results. And if you do want to shop some of these products that I'm mentioning, we'll put links in all the show notes. Um, Beauty Counter is having a winter sale right now. So I'm sure for like Boxing Day or whenever you're listening, it'll still be going past New Year's. I think it's until January 4th. They have up to 50% off a lot of products. Plus they have this program that's like Prime for Better Beauty called Band of Beauty that gets you another 10% back. So you can save up to 60% um, if you are interested in some of these. And you can shop with me if you choose to shop. I would be so grateful um, at beautycounter.com slash Stacey Toth. And anything not on sale, if you've never shopped before, you can use clean for all 20. That's like one word as a code for 20% off. But if you have any questions at all, you can always email me um, and I am happy to help and send links or you can tell me what your problems are. Um, Stacy at realeverything.com because I think all of this is so bio-individual. Like the science is, you know, very strong that we know that we need to support um, 
things from the inside, but even just, you know, your experience of if you react to eggs or if you react to nightshades or if you react to dairy is different. Um, We know that they can be triggers, but things are bio-individual just like skincare on the outside is bio-individual as well. So um, if you are using something that's not quite getting you what you want, I'm happy to help. So I hope that all of this was very helpful for Emily and all of our listeners who even have occasional dry skin issues or more intense skin issues like eczema. Um, I'm going to remind our listeners that as always, we're going to go continue the conversation over on our Patreon, uh, in a potentially not rated G way. Although sometimes it's, pretty tame over there occasionally i I think like 50 percent of the time (laughs) 50 percent of the time it's tame and 55 percent of the time don't have your kids in the room um but i invite all of our listeners to come join us over there and continue the conversation connect with us you get to do really cool things like join live video q a's to ask us your questions on the spot um we got lots of cool stuff going on over there and in the meantime thanks for listening and we'll be back next week I hope you have a wonderful holiday. We love providing the Whole View podcast for you as a free resource. You can support the show by using the links and codes we share in our podcast. And we love to read your reviews and chats wherever you listen. And don't forget to share our podcast with your friends and family. Speaking of chat, did you know that you can get exclusive behind the scenes content on Patreon? When you support us with your Patreon membership, you get access to live Q&As and weekly bonus audio but they're not for kids' ears because our bonus content is explicit. You can also stay in touch with us via our social media channels. I'm at Real Everything Blog. And I'm at The Paleo Mom. And we've got more great resources on our websites and in our newsletters. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.